first thing happened is you saw a bride and a groom come down this, into this church together and you saw a glorious procession and it's declaring something glorious is about to happen. Okay, it's a hymn of victory and a hymn of power. It's always like a, a royal hymn that we say as we come down because something glorious is about to happen today. So we are making a new king and queen here today because in God's eyes, marriage is not an earthly thing. Marriage is a heavenly thing and it's a glorious thing and it is the highest thing that God can give to mankind. Welcome, welcome, friends and family day here at The Well. So happy that you're joining us. My name is Father Anthony, and for the next 40, 45 minutes, we, I will be sharing with you some thoughts on a new series that we're starting today called Crowns of Glory. And as you just saw there from the intro, we are starting a series on everyone's favorite topic, which is marriage. And we're going to talk about marriage for the next three weeks, and we're going to see if we can learn some lessons. And here's my prayer up front. My prayer up front is that, that this series really helps transform, A, those of us who are married and may be struggling to know what our marriage should look like versus what it does look like, and those of us who are approaching marriage and considering marriage and maybe driving towards it, either engaged or single and kind of in, in you know, got some perspectives out there, whatever it may be, to know what it is that I should be driving towards. So we're going to try to understand marriage and answer some questions about marriage but before we do that, I would not be a marriage series unless I started off with a marriage joke. I have like one joke that I always tell. Like I only have one joke. This is my joke, okay? So if you don't like it, I don't like you, that's fine. But that, this is my joke. Anytime anyone says, anyone know a joke? This is my go-to, this is my bread and butter. So forgive me if you've heard it before. This is my bread and butter. And there's a perfect time to use it on this marriage series. And it's cheesy and it's corny and it's not funny to you, but it's funny to me and that's all that matters. Once upon a time when God was creating Adam, okay, when God had created the whole wide world and he made the trees and the moon and the stars and the sky, and then he made Adam and said, Adam, all this is for you. And Adam, as we know the story of creation from the Bible, looked around and something was not right. Okay, Adam was missing something. So God said, no, don't worry, Adam. I'm not done creation yet. I still have one more creation that I'm going to do. And that one is going to be called woman. So Adam said, what's a woman? So God said, no, woman is the best thing in the whole wide world. Woman is going to be there for you when you're sad. She's going to cheer you up. She's going to care for you when you're sick. She's going to encourage you. She's going to be your number one fan. She's going to be supporting you. She's going to be taking care of you from A to Z. Everything that you ever need in life, you will find completion in this thing called woman who will be there by your side, thick and thin, till death do you part. Adam said, wow, it's incredible. What will it cost me, God? God said, an arm and a leg. Adam said, what can I get for a rib? There it is, the short-lived comedy career of, my, of myself, Father Anthony Messa. There it was, okay? Let's talk seriously about marriage. 
The world that we live in, the society we live in today, there's a lot of confusion about this thing called marriage. And there's a lot of people who have different thoughts and different ideas about what marriage should be and what it's not supposed to be and who should be in it and who shouldn't be in it and what's supposed to happen when you're inside it. And we live in a society in an era today that things that have been existing for centuries, ideas that people have understood and accepted for centuries, today are being questioned and are being thrown out there as if there's something new that people just made up this marriage thing. Things about, for example, what is marriage? How is marriage supposed to work? What is the idea of these marriage roles? Is there even roles in marriage or is it just every man for himself? Some people even ask the question, is marriage even necessary? Some people out there will tell you, maybe you've heard the expression, a starter marriage. You heard of a starter marriage? Okay, that's the expression these days, that the whole idea of like one man and one woman forever, like, okay, that's like we're our grandparents. Okay, but we live in 2016. And these days, you're getting on your feet, you buy a starter home, you eventually get a nicer home, you get a third home, same thing with marriage. This is like a starter marriage, and it go as long as you can. Hey, take it for what it's worth. But the idea of one man, one woman forever to death to his part. That's like old fashioned. That's antiquated. That's like the, the Flintstones, Neanderthal stuff. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. To show you how far marriage has fallen, think about this. Answer this question in your head. When was the last time that you saw on television or in a movie marriage portrayed in a positive way? Nine out of 10 times, the shows that we see on the TV or in the movies, it shows that marriage is boring, Marriage is miserable, and the real fun is outside of marriage. And the real fun of people are the ones who are not married, and the marriage is the ball in the chain, and the miserable guy who's married, and then a wife who has a bumbling idiot for a husband. And marriage is portrayed to us as something which basically ruins all your fun. Today, there's less emphasis on marriage and more emphasis on love. When I was a kid, there was a, uh, a music group called Hootie and the Blowfish. You all know Hootie and the Blowfish? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, I mean, when I, when I was like a baby, of course there was. <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish had a famous song called Only Want to Be With You. Y'all remember that song? Only Want to Be With You. No need to sing it, but thank you. I appreciate that, okay? That deserved a bum bum but it's a... There was a line in it that you may know, okay, where Hootie said, I just want to love you, but you... Want to wear my ring? Remember that? I just want to love you, but you, you can't, I can't dance, you can't sing. Remember that? Okay. I just want to love you, but you just, and you just want to wear my ring. As if to say, there is this contrast where I want love and all you want is marriage. As if to say, like, real love is more important and marriage is just this, this, this formality and this kind of antiquated, old-fashioned thing which doesn't really have any bearing on whether or not we are in love. We have lost the view of marriage as a divine institution, and instead, marriage has become for us a means for a tax credit. And that's all it's become for us, a formality. And then you have married people listening to all that, struggling in their marriage and asking, you know what? what? Is this what I signed up for? Why did I sign up for this? And then you have single people looking at those married people who are struggling saying, no, thank you. And I know many people today who not out of the desire for celibacy, not out of a desire to live a chaste life, but out of a desire to just stay away from marriage counseling. Say, I don't want to have anything to do with marriage. But we need to address these, these things and come to some conclusions. How are we going to solve this problem right here? We're going to solve it by an ancient proverb. Okay, an ancient proverb, which doesn't really have much to do with marriage, but when I tell it to you, you may see how it fits with marriage. And the ancient proverb is this. Whoops, 
The ancient proverb is this. You don't take swimming lessons from a camel. You don't take swimming lessons from a camel. It's actually not an ancient proverb. I kind of made it up. But it sounds like something that would be an ancient proverb. Okay? And what that means is, if you are going, camels, in case you don't know, can't swim. They're one of the few animals that if you put them in the water, they will sink straight to the bottom and they can't even survive for like five minutes in the water. So if I'm going to try to learn about swimming, I try to seek out a fish. Maybe I go for an uh, uh, alligator, something like that. Anything, a duck, anything before going to a camel. Because a camel simply doesn't know how to swim. And every time a camel has tried to swim, it fails. It fails, it fails, it fails. A camel is a failure at swimming, so only a dumb person would get advice from a camel about how to swim. Agree? We're all dumb people. Because we all the time take marriage advice from people who have failed at marriage. We all the time take marriage advice from people, and I'm not knocking anyone in particular, but I'll just throw a few names out there. We take from, from Hollywood stars, this guy and this guy, and they gave us advice, don't marry this and make sure you look for this. We take advice from people named Oprah and Phil and, and people on the TV who we don't know if they're on the third marriage or fourth marriage. We don't know what in the world they are. We take marriage advice from our married friends who are miserable in their marriage. And they tell us, no, don't make the same mistake I did and make sure that when you get married that you don't do this Make sure that you find a woman who, uh, who, who respects you. And if you have to raise your voice to get her to respect you, you make sure. We find, uh, take marriage advice from a lady who say, uh, you know what, just, just find a guy who doesn't care, doesn't have any friends, who doesn't do anything because you just get it. We take marriage advice from people who have failed and failed and failed. And we're the dumb people because we take their advice. I liken it, taking marriage advice from people who are failing in marriage is like going out to a homeless event, going out and serving the homeless, and then asking the homeless people for stock tips on your way out. That's what we do. Society as a whole has failed at marriage. I'm not saying marriage is a failure. I'm saying that society, culture, call it whatever it is you want, is struggling and failing at marriage, and we stupidly take their advice on what marriage is supposed to look like. That makes us really the dumb people. What we're going to do in this series is we're going to do the opposite of that. Our theme here in this church, our slogan in this church is we are bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. Bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. We have a great ancient faith given to us for centuries and centuries and centuries and wisdom and depth and knowledge. And that ancient faith, our job is to bring it to the modern world. And there's no area that the modern world needs it more than in this area of marriage. We're going to go back and we're going to see what our church has taught us about marriage. And specifically, we are going to look at the wedding ceremony that the church has given to us. Because before the church had books, and before the church had sermons, and before the church had podcasts, what the church had is the rituals of the church. And in the rituals and the rites of the church that have been from the beginning, the church was teaching people by what they saw and what they heard. And we're going to go look at the Orthodox wedding ceremony, and over the next three weeks, we're going to pull out three lessons that we learn from the ceremony. And I know that this is exactly what the modern world needs. And the reason that I know this is because every time I do a wedding now, I give a sermon. I used to be at the beginning, people would ask me, can you give a sermon at my wedding? Now I don't wait to be asked. I just do it. Okay, just, and I just, boom, I'm at the wedding. I'm, I got the microphone, like, boom, I'm going. And every time what I'm doing is I'm doing exactly this. I point out some of the things in the ceremony. And this is what's happening. And the looks on the people's faces, the people say, I never knew that. People come to me afterwards and say, I, I have a new outlook on my marriage now. I never realized that. And even I had that thing done to me, but I wasn't paying attention. 
What I realized in doing that for so many times, so many weddings, is that the people that I'm speaking to are not the bride and the groom because they ain't paying attention to anything I'm saying. I'm doing it for their sake and I'm trying to tell them this is what the church, and they're in la-la land and smile for the camera and stuff like that. So basically what I decided in this series, I'm gonna stop wasting my breath on them. And I wanna share with you what they needed to know and what hopefully they'll be paying attention to at some point in time and what we need to learn from the church. And our main lesson, okay, our, our kind of overarching theme is we do not want to take swimming lessons from a camel. We do not want to take marriage advice from people who have failed at marriage. Someone who has had 15 girlfriends over the past two years, and he's the one that is advising us, okay? Monkey see, monkey do. Like that, like if we take an advice from that guy, that's the blind leading the blind. We want to go to the church and realize that God is the creator of marriage, and God is teaching us about marriage through the ceremony that he's given us in the church. And we're going to let that ceremony speak to us. We're going to learn three lessons. Three lessons every week. We're going to learn that wedding is a new birth. We're going to learn that a wedding is a mission. And we're going to see it's mission impossible, but we'll see that okay, in the coming weeks. And what we're going to talk about today, our topic for today, is that every wedding is a funeral. And some of you are expecting the ba-dum-bum now. This ain't a joke. This is what I say at every wedding that I go to. Every wedding is a funeral. There's always one old grumpy uncle, married, you know, everyone's got that crazy uncle who gets drunk at all the weddings. There's always that uncle who's miserable in his marriage and he's like, yes it is, absolutely. <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. What I mean is this. First thing we need to understand about a wedding is we call it a wedding, but the official name that the church gives it is not wedding. Okay, the official name of the wedding or the sacrament of matrimony is the ceremony of crowning. It's called a crowning ceremony. And that's why you see here portrayed these nice crowns because a wedding is all about crowns. And we're going to talk about the crowns, okay, kind of throughout the next few weeks. It's not going to be the emphasis today, but that's the name of the whole ceremony, a crowning. When you hear the name, the word crowning, you automatically think of what? You think of something glorious. You think of something royal. And the wedding ceremony, the crowning ceremony, from the very beginning is a glorious celebration. How does a wedding begin? A wedding begins, all the people sit inside church. They're supposed to be there early, okay? Sometimes they come late, but they're supposed to be there early. And then once all the people have gathered, and the people are all seated, and the people are dressed in the finest attire, okay? The nicest clothes. Then all of a sudden, you start to hear a royal hymn, a hymn called, O King of Peace. Okay, and it's about the royal king, the king of heaven and earth, but it's a royal hymn, not just for the king, but also to proclaim something majestic is happening this day. Then the doors open and you see a procession, a royal procession, because a king and queen don't just walk into a room. When a king walks in, someone walks in front of him. His entourage, his people walk in and they throw flower petals on the floor and they say, back up, the king is coming through and get out the way, here comes the queen. So here comes this royal pr procession and it is led by the angels. Okay, the deacons dressed in their white attire to represent the angels because not only all of earth is gathered for this wedding, for this crowning, but all of heaven is gathered for this crowning ceremony. And here come the angels and they're singing and they're chanting and they're praising. And then you see the priest all decked out in his glorious attire as well. He brings out the gold 
robe and all the fancy schmancy stuff because this is a great celebration. And it's not just the priests and the deacons. You have all their family and all their friends. The mother comes over here and then this one's mother here and this one's cousin and this one's best man and this one's maid of whatever and this one's and then the flower boy and the ring girl, the, the Bible whatever and whatever. And everyone is all decked out in their finest attire. Why? Because at the end of that procession, who do we see? The king and the queen. The bride and the groom. And we know that today, something glorious is taking place. The view of ch the church towards marriage has always been something glorious and honorable. It has never, let me say this again, never been that marriage is a concession towards those who cannot live a celibate life. That is a false teaching that has crept into the church many times over the course of history. That celibacy, monasticism, that's the top. Okay, and then those who aren't spiritual enough to get there, just get married and let them basically fornicate with one another. Okay, but just only fornicate with each other. Don't fornicate with other people. That is, nothing could be further from the truth. When you see the glorious procession and the royal procession, the church treats marriage as something honorable and very glorious. The people who think that marriage is lower than celibacy are misinterpreting a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where St. Paul spends the entire chapter talking about marriage and celibacy. Not one is higher than the other, but they're different. Some are called to this, some are called to that. It's a misinterpretation of this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 7. This is the first half of the verse, okay? And in this, in this topic of celibacy, St. Paul is speaking about it, saying, I wish that all men were even as I myself. And he's speaking here specifically about celibacy. Okay, St. Paul was living a celibate life at this time. And he was saying that some people need to get married. That's fine. But I wish everyone could do what I'm doing. But then he clarifies that in, in the rest of the sentence and the rest of the verse. I wish all men were as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that one. And he spends the rest of the chapter saying, look, if you are married, Stay married and live for the glory of God as married. If you are celibate, live for the glory of God as celibate. What he's, his point in the whole thing was, don't switch over. Okay, don't switch over. Don't say that now that I'm celibate, because of Christ came, I have to get married. Or now that I'm married because Christ came, I have to become celibate. He's saying, don't do that. Whatever God has given to you is glorious and is honorable and, and, and stick with it. And he's saying, me personally, my preference is celibacy. And I would say for me personally, my preference is marriage. Okay, but I'm not, none is higher or lower than the other. It's different callings. So make sure that we're clear on that one. Okay, and St. Paul even clarified it later on in his writings in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, where he says, marriage is honorable among all. Marriage is honorable among all. And he goes on and says, and the bed undefiled. And he clearly says, marriage and bed. And when he talks about marriage bed, you need to draw the picture. Okay, what he's talking about right there. He's saying that sex and marriage is not bad. It's undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So he's clearly saying sex within marriage is not fornication. It is not adultery. It is beautiful. It is undefiled. And it is honorable and has nothing to do with adultery and fornication outside. You want to know how much the church looks highly at marriage. You would be shocked if you go look at something called the canons of the church. Okay, the word canon means like laws. So when the church would gather for like councils or synods, they would finish these councils and they would write a whole bunch of like, like meeting minutes. Like after a board meeting, you write the minutes, like what we discussed. But these, 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 these minutes, these, these canons are, are like the highest level of le legislation in the church. And there was a council in a city called Gangra back in the fourth century, 340 AD. And they talked about this specific teaching where some people were teaching that celibacy is higher than marriage. And look what they wrote down. These are some of the canons that came out of there. 
If anyone shall condemn marriage, let him be anathema. Anathema means cursed or excommunicated. It means he's done. We're done with that guy. If anyone shall remain a virgin or observe continence, abstaining from marriage because he abhors it and not on account of the beauty of the holiness of virginity itself, let him be anathema. Saying anyone who says, I refuse to get married because it's unholy and it's bad and I want to be more spiritual. That guy, we're done with that guy. Goes even more. If any woman shall forsake her husband and resolve to depart from him because she abhors marriage, let her be anathema. Here's the best one. If any one of those who are living a virgin life for the Lord's sake shall treat arrogantly the married, we're done with him too. You see what that is? What is the church teaching us here? Marriage, people, is not a concession because we're lustful, weak, and no self-control. And what's wrong with you? Marriage is something beautiful, honorable. And if anyone even speaks wrongly about this, let him be anathema. Get rid of that guy. Because marriage is a sacrament. To speak lowly of marriage is to speak lowly about the Eucharist. Speak lowly about baptism. Speak lowly about the priesthood. To speak lowly of a sacrament is to speak lowly of all the sacraments and the one who gave us the sacraments, which is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So for us, here's how we're going to approach marriage. Marriage is not a concession for the weak or for the lowly. Marriage is a sacrament. And because it's a sacrament, all the sacraments have the same definition or the same purpose. Marriage is a gift of God for the salvation and sanctification of man and woman. But mankind is what I mean. Marriage is a gift from God to say, you need this. I'm giving you a gift to help you for your salvation and your sanctification, for you to become who you were meant to become, for you to live out your eternal purpose that I have before the foundation of the world. I have a purpose for you. And marriage is a gift to help you get there. Celibacy is as well. So I'm not saying it's only marriage and against celibacy. Celibacy can be as well, but I'm saying each of them was given for, for who God calls each one to have as a gift for our salvation and our sanctification. Think about all the sacraments. Why did God give us baptism? Why did God give us chrismation? Why did God give us the Eucharist? Why does God teach us about repentance? Why? Is it for uh, our fun? Say, you guys look bored. There's this thing called confession. Maybe it'll keep you happy. God gave us the sacraments so that we would be restoring the image of God within us. That's why we participate in the sacraments. Any sacrament we participate in, it's a piece of God that we participate in. Not to make us happy, not, not to, so we have someone to cook and clean for us. It's for our salvation and sanctification. Married people, you agree with me, right? Marriage is for your salvation. Sometimes I say that to people and they say, hey, wait a minute. I'm out here. Ever since I got married, I feel further away from salvation. I feel like I got a better shot at this salvation thing if you take away the person who's nagging me all the time. If you take away the person who's yelling at me all the time, you take away the person who leaves the underwear on the floor all the time, I got a better shot at salvation. That was meant to be like a rhetorical thing. You're not supposed to be nodding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's okay. Come see me afterwards, those who are nodding. <laughs> Most people would argue that marriage takes us further away from salvation and brings out the worst in us. Doesn't it, married people? You can nod at this one. Marriage brings out the worst in us. So how can I say that I'm better off, I'm closer to salvation through marriage? It seems like the exact opposite is true. Well, let's go back in time. Let's go to the very first wedding that ever took place. Before there was churches and wedding dresses and all that kind of stuff, people used to get married, not in a wedding dress, but in a birthday suit, and that's in Genesis chapter 2. 
after God created all of creation, he looked at Adam and everything was perfect at this time in Genesis chapter two. Everything was perfect. Okay. The weather was perfect. There was no drama in politics. Like everything was perfect in the world. Skins were 16 and 0 every year. Like life was perfect. But God looked at Adam and said, Adam has a problem. There's a problem. The first problem that entered into the world. Help me out here. What's the first problem? It says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then he makes Eve as woman, okay, to be the wife of Adam. So here's our first problem. And the solution is marriage. There's a problem. We didn't say what the problem is yet. The solution to whatever this problem, like God says, there's a problem. There's something not good. I'm going to solve it by giving marriage. What's the problem? Okay, so most people say lonely. And I'm not saying that loneliness wasn't a problem. But what I'm saying is this. God didn't create marriage because man was like had a frown one day and said, he loses some cheering up. It wasn't that man had an emotion of loneliness. It doesn't say it is not good for man to be lonely. Man's problem wasn't he was lonely, is that he was alone. What's the difference? Lonely is an emotion. Lonely means he's sad. Sometimes we're lonely. Sometimes... Leave that aside. Alone means he's missing something. There's something missing. And the solution is, I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. Now, that word helper comparable, some people get... They're all bunched up because this is not as, 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 as people think it's a demeaning word. It's not a demeaning word at all. The word helper comparable, the key is the word comparable, means exactly like the picture shows, the completion of him. Like here's man and there's like a hole right here. I'm going to complete the man. There's something missing from the man. Man, I created him right here, but there's a piece missing. So I will create the missing piece that fits him perfectly. And that is called woman. Why? Think of it this way. Look, try, try to take a step back right here. Man was made in the image of God. God's image is what? God, we know God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit does not exist in a vacuum. He exists in a relationship. God is not an individual. God is a union of three persons in one. And that's a great mystery. And I don't want to really get into that right now. But what, I, what we need to see is that God does not exist in a vacuum. God exists in a relationship. And if there's no relationship, there's no God. If there's no relationship, there's no God. That's why the Bible defines God as God is, God is love. God is love. Can you have love if you're the only person in the world? If you live in a vacuum, can there be true love? No, love requires a recipient of love. So God equals love, equals relationship, equals fullness of love, and love has to spill out onto a recipient. Well, here you have Adam made in the image of God, but Adam was by himself. There was no recipient of that love. There was, if, if Adam's, if the image of God is inside of Adam, if love is inside Adam, there has to be a place for that love to be poured out onto. And if not, Adam is incomplete. Adam is missing something. Adam is alone. So before marriage, man in a vacuum alone, not right. Man needed a recipient of that love in order to be in the image of God fully. And that's why later on, God creates Eve for him. And he says this about her. Adam said, look what he says. He doesn't say she's nice, she's pretty. He says, this is now bone of my bones 
and flesh of my flesh. The peace is now there. I, I'm a person and I'm missing, like, I'm missing this part of my body. I'm missing, you know, my, 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 my pancreas, okay, or my, my gallbladder, okay, or my whatever, okay, this missing. And now, like, it's not there. And then all of a sudden he says, now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I am man, she is woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Here's our first aha moment for this series. Here's our first aha moment for this series. Marriage was not created because man was bored. Marriage was not created because man needed someone to cook for him. Marriage was not created because God knew that man would get sick and he needed someone to cook him soup on the day. Marriage was not created to meet man's emotional needs. Marriage does all that kinds of stuff, but that was not the primary purpose. Marriage was created because man in the image of God was incomplete unless there was someone there for him to pour that love onto. Because man living only for himself, man living only for himself could not be in the image of God. Because the whole point of being in the image of God is that one gives his life for someone else. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The whole point of, 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 of Christ coming to this earth was to come and to give himself for someone else. So man in the image of God had no one to give himself to. No one to give himself for. So here is what marriage was for. Marriage sanctifies man by giving him someone to live for outside of himself. God had to create for man someone outside of himself to live for because the man who only lives for himself, the man who only lives for himself doesn't really live. Man and woman, this is like I'm going man for mankind here. The man or woman who is only living for themselves is not truly living because they are not living in the image and likeness of God that they were created for because they were created to love and that means has to have an expression outside. That's why, if you notice, after the fall, before the fall, she was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What happened after sin entered into the world? That woman that you made me. That woman. Before she was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She was one with me. Now all of a sudden there is separation. That person over there. I don't even, what's her name? I don't remember, what's her name? And there became a separation. And that's why from that time to today, the number one problem that is plaguing our world today and will continue to plague our world to the end of time is selfishness. Selfishness came into the world that time. Once there was that break, and then all of a sudden, it's selfish, and she's separate from me, and I'm over here, and I take care of my business, she takes care of her business. And that's all the problems we have in the world today, people. You go find any problem in this world, and the bottom line is someone at the bottom of it is selfish, is greedy, is trying to be strong, overpower the weak, bully, whatever it may be. The problem in this world started right there with selfishness. And once Adam lost that mindset, once selfishness entered into, no more she bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, now she's outside of me, that's when we lost the meaning of marriage. And that's when marriage became more about me than about we. It became more about my needs and my happiness, and she needs to, and he needs to, than it became about me giving myself to someone else. How do we fix this problem? I have a solution for this problem. The solution for this problem is a red ribbon. Married people, you know what this is? 
in an Orthodox wedding ceremony, this red ribbon is something that you should hopefully see, but probably when you were married, you weren't seeing because you, you know what I mean? But if you attended, hopefully you paid attention to it. Earlier I said the wedding, let's go back to the wedding ceremony. It starts with that royal procession. People come on in, okay, and then the bride and the groom, and they're sitting in the front on the royal chairs, and the people are singing, and the priest does what? The priest takes a red ribbon like this, he takes the rings, okay, for, for the bride and the groom, and he puts the rings inside this ribbon, okay, so you kind of loop it like this, okay, that's why the picture right there, okay, and you loop it around, all right, and I'm going to do it like this because this one's really long. And then what the priest does is says, I declare... This marriage and the name of God the Father. And everyone says, Amen. And the priest ties a knot. And he says, We declare this marriage in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Tie a second knot. We declare this marriage in the name of the Holy Spirit. We declare it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we tie a knot every single time. The people say, Amen. And we pray the Lord's Prayer. And then what the priest does is he holds that ring, okay, like that on the screen right there. And he holds it. And he says a prayer of thanksgiving. And then after that, he unties the ribbon and he places the rings on the hands of the bride and the groom. Now, what do the rings symbolize? Rings symbolize what? Eternity, okay? Like permanence, okay? A per like forever because a ring is circle, has no beginning, no end. So we place the ring on the finger and we say, this is a permanent, okay? This is a forever and eternal bond, like forever and ever. What happens to the ribbon? What happens to the ribbon? The priest then takes the ribbon and he ties it around the bride and the groom, okay? But not, not one ribbon around it, like, kind of like this. Okay, and he ties a little knot right there, okay? And each of the bride and the groom is wearing one of these. And then shortly thereafter, they put on a robe, okay, a priestly robe, so the ribbon gets covered most of the time, but the ribbon is there. Every time I do it, those of you who are married, you know because I did this to you, and I know I did it to several people right here. I'm tying the ribbon on the thing, and the people are wee -woo, and screaming in pictures, and then the rings and all that stuff, and the robes and all that stuff. And I always whisper in the ear, hey, hey, you know what this ribbon's for? And of course, they're just like, shh. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> as if I'm bothering them, okay? <laughs> and then I ask the people, what's the red ribbon for? And I say, the ribbon was tying the rings together, and the ring symbolized the unity between the man and the woman forever. So the red ribbon is what makes the unity. Okay, this is just a symbol of the unity, but what makes them tied together is the red ribbon. And most people say, okay, red, red symbolizes blood. So you say, it's the blood that unites them. You say, okay, whose blood? And everyone becomes very spiritual, and it's the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus that unites us. And I say, that's a very good spiritual answer. But we're not tying the red ribbon around the picture of Jesus. Jesus already died. And I'm pretty sure that his death, like, it was his valid death. Who retied the red ribbon around? It's that around you. So whose death is this? Jesus' death? In other words, every wedding is a funeral. Because here's the principle in life. It applies to all of life. For something new to be born, something old must die. For something new to be born, something old must die. To put on a new shirt, I must take off the old shirt. To put on new shoes, I must take off the old shoes. I cannot say, I'm wearing these shoes. Okay, give me new shoes. Okay, Father Anthony, take off your old shoes. No, I don't want to take off my old shoes. I want to put on new shoes. Okay, that's very nice, but unless they're clown shoes, you cannot put on new shoes on top of old shoes. And you cannot start new life unless you die to old life. 
And all the problem in marriage today is because people are trying to put a new life without removing the old life, and that's why we get in problems. And the solution that the church taught us is this red ribbon. And I always tell this to couples. I say, you keep this red ribbon because this ribbon means that from this moment, you die. And you die, and he die. And both people die, and a new person is born today. Next, we're going to talk about the new person that's born. So I don't want to focus on that part today. I want to focus on the death part today, because I believe this idea of wedding as funeral is the exact opposite of our mentality today when it comes to marriage. We approach marriage, forgive me to say this, in the most selfish and self-centered way possible. We approach our weddings, we approach our marriage in the most selfish and self-centered way possible, and that's what the world has taught us. That marriage is all about me. And, and we see that from the very, very, very start. It's my day, and it's my whatever, and it's all about me, and I have to have my needs met, and he need to make me happy, and he better be there, and he better not be going out with his friends, and she better not nag me on football season, and he better say I love you, and she better not call me, and it's all about me, me, me. I want this, I want this, I want this. And then Hollywood did us a disservice by showing us, not even Hollywood, it's Disney, okay, did us the disservice by saying that if you just go and you find the right one, all your needs will be met and you'll be swept off your feet and you'll be singing and dancing forever and ever and ever. And that's nonsense. Marriage was not given to meet my needs. Marriage was given for me to meet the needs of another. Marriage was not given for me to be more selfish and self-centered. Marriage was to teach me selflessness and giving myself and dying for another person. And we got this one messed up. And the result of it, to be honest, Again, back to the whole camel and swimming. The, the proof is in the pudding. We have never lived in a society and a generation and era that is more focused on happiness and focused on pleasure than we do live in today. We're the most selfish society. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about outside. I'm talking about society out there. All we care about is how to make ourselves happy. Agree or disagree. That's everything is focused on how to make ourselves happy. And has there ever been a more miserable generation in this world? Everyone is trying to find happiness. No one is happy. Everyone is saying marriage is going to solve my problems. Marriage is the worst state that it's ever been. Maybe we're approaching this thing backwards. To show you how far we've fallen. I remember you quote from a church father back in the second and third century. Second, he lived in the late second, early third century. So this was a guy, and this guy wasn't married. And listen to what he says about marriage. Okay, this is someone from, this is ancient wisdom right here. Just, just listen to the depth of this, okay? How beautiful then. His name, his name is Tertullian. Okay, it's a cool name. Just one name, like Madonna. Tertullian. Okay. <laughs> how beautiful then, how beautiful then, the marriage of two Christians, two who are one in hope, one in desire, one in the way of life they follow, one in the religion they practice. They are as brother and sister, both servants of the same master. Nothing divides them, either in flesh or in spirit. They are in very truth, two in one flesh. And where there is but one flesh, there's also but one spirit. They pray together, they worship together, they fast together, instructing one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. Side by side, they face difficulties and persecution. They share their consolations. They have no secrets from one another. They never shun each other's company. They never bring sorrow to each other's hearts. Psalms and hymns, they sing to one another. Hearing and seeing this, Christ rejoices. So such as these, he gives peace. Where there are two together, there also he is present, and where he is, there evil is not. Walt Disney should make a movie out of this. This is beautiful. This is not what the world teaches us. This is not what the world teaches us. The world teaches us, look out for number one. Again, marriage is about me, not we. Marriage is about to meet your needs and to make you happy and to satisfy you. 
The exact opposite of what he's saying right here. A true marriage. I will say this at the weddings, okay? This series, I'm, like, this is what I say at weddings, so sometimes stuff is going to come up, okay? So I always tell people at weddings, if you got a problem in your marriage, one of you took this off. If you got a problem in your marriage, one of you took this off. If there's a problem in your marriage, it's someone took off their red ribbon. It's someone said, you know what? Not about death to me. I'm going to tell you what I need, and I'm going to tell you what I want, and I'm going to tell you. And it's all about me. And I'm telling you, when there's a problem, one or both, it could be both. I'm not saying it's always just one. You need to go back and put this red ribbon on. Single people, single people, if you ain't ready to wear a red ribbon, you ain't ready to wear a crown. If you ain't ready to wear a red ribbon and die to yourself and live for another person, you are not ready to wear this crown, which we'll talk about soon. You are not ready for marriage if you are not ready to die to yourself because marriage is not about selfishness. That's what's gotten all the problem in the world. Marriage is about the exact opposite. That's why when you are single, earlier I was saying how marriage brings out the worst in us. You know why marriage brings out the worst in us? The key, actually that expression says, right, brings out the worst in us. The worst is already in us, but marriage only exposes it. It doesn't create it. We think that it's my wife who makes me crazy. No, you're crazy. But it's just your wife who draws it out of you because when you're single and here I am and I'm crazy, okay, and he doesn't like my craziness, so I say, okay, very good, I'm just gonna talk to you instead. And if she don't think she's crazy, I'm gonna talk to her. And when you're single, you can escape. But when you're married, boom, there's no escape. Okay, she's there and she wake up there and, she night, and she's there. So there's no escape to your craziness, but you are the crazy one. It's not that she made you crazy, it's that she just highlights and draws it out of you. And I'm telling you that God, because he loves you, because he loves you, gave you that person who you say made you crazy. He gave you that person to draw it out of you, to heal you. To heal you. That's why I say, I always say this, your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. That's what they taught us. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is your helper. She's the one who completes you, or he, he or she, either one, completes you. And yes, at times they, they make you like a crazy. But that's for your own sake, to help you, to expose that inside you, and to heal you. Because God doesn't want to see you live selfish. Because you cannot be in the image of God and be selfish. You can't. I, you, find me a way. Like I, If you find me a verse that says, you can be in the image of God just like your creator and be selfish and self-centered and greedy, bring me that verse. I would love to see that verse. But you can't. And God gave us marriage to teach us that. And he gave us the red ribbon to always remind us of it. This is what it means to live as Christ. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this. And to wear the red ribbon and to lay down one's life for his friends. This is what marriage is called to be. It's called to be death to ourselves. And that's what the red ribbon is all about. Final analogy, and then I'll let you go right here. Final analogy that I've said this many times, so I'm sure some of you have heard me say this before, is marriage is like a box. Marriage is like a box. Marriage is like a box, and the way society approaches it is marriage is a box, and I'm coming to it to see what I can take out. So you know what? I need companionship. So I'm coming to marriage to take companionship. I need security. I need uh, someone to care for me. I need um, uh, sexual fulfillment. I need uh, someone to, uh, to mother my children. Okay, like I'm, what can I get out? And I'm telling you, let's say you got the biggest box in the whole wide world, a box the size of this room, and it is filled to the rim with stuff. If every day, I take something out of there, and you take something out of it, 
and I take something out, and you take something out, and I take something out, and you take something out. What's going to happen eventually with time? It's going to be empty. And some boxes start off really big and takes them five years to empty, 10 years to empty. Some boxes start off smaller after two months. Some boxes are just little pint-sized ones by the end of the honeymoon. Christian marriage, marriage is a box. But instead of what am I coming to take out, I'm coming to see what I can put in. And I'm saying, I'm not coming to take out companionship, I'm coming to put in companionship. I'm not coming to take out someone to care for me, I'm coming to put in someone to care for someone else. And then help me flip the analogy. Let's say you've got a big box, a big, 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 big box, and it's empty. It starts off empty. The marriage box starts empty. This is important. But then I put in something today. And then Marianne, my wife, puts in something. And then I put in something. And then she put in something. It's something, 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 something. What's going to happen over time? Eventually when that box gets full? What happens if you have a cup full of water or a bucket full of water and you put more water in? It overflows. And now, marriage is a box. Watch this. Now I am giving to my wife and I am receiving from the bucket. And I'm giving, and she's giving, and I'm giving, and she's giving. And the more I'm giving, the more I'm drinking. The more I'm putting in, the more is overflowing onto me because marriage is a box. And we didn't come into the box to see what I could take out. We take out by putting in. And this is the approach that we need to have as Christians approaching marriage. This is what the church has always taught us. Marriage is not for selfishness. Marriage is for death to self. And that's why I say every wedding is a funeral. And everyone, ha, 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 and that's funny. No, it's not funny. It's the truth. Every wedding is a funeral. And if you are approaching marriage and you are not ready to die, you are not ready to marry. And if you are in married, or you are married and you are not willing to die daily and regularly, then you are not fulfilling what God called you to do. You are not remembering your red ribbon. Next week, we're going to see how every wedding is a new birth. It's a new start. And that's the fun stuff you thought I was going to talk about that. But there's no such thing as a new start without a death to the old. Don't tell me new life unless you tell me about death to the old life. And what I want every married couple to practice this week, okay? I don't have enough ribbons to give ever, okay? But you can go pick up one of these things from the dollar store, okay? Very, very easy, okay? I want every married couple to go find their red ribbon. Every married couple to go find their red ribbon. And to stand in front of God and to ask yourself, where have you put down your red ribbon? In what area? Maybe you put down your red ribbon when you come home from work and you're tired and you're grumpy and you say, that red ribbon is going down and I will be served. Maybe you put down your red ribbon when something catastrophe happened and you freaked out and you said, it doesn't matter about this, now it's about me. Ask yourself where you put down that red ribbon and put it back on and then next week we will come together and we will see what happens when a true Christian couple puts on their red ribbon, okay, We'll put on the crowns next week, okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart for your love for us and for the unselfish love of giving yourself to us and dying for us and, and sanctifying us and giving us your spirit to live within us. Pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow in your image, whether married or single, that we would grow in this image and likeness by a life of unselfishness and that you would remove from us any greed or self-centeredness or anything which is like all about me, 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 me. To get rid of that, Lord, so that we can truly live as you designed for us to live and we can truly find satisfaction in this world. 
Pray for every married couple that may be going through hard times, that you would help them each to find their red ribbon. Pray for every single person who's approaching marriage or contemplating marriage, that you would help prepare them, Lord, not for, not let them find someone who can serve them hand and foot, but help them be prepared to serve someone else and to give themselves for, for another person. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.